Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered, the Shadi Nabhan podcast. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist. I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. I appreciate you tuning in for today's episode, where we are going to provide you with an update on the situation of COVID-19 in India. This is a very important episode, as you know, for those of you who listen to this show, I aired an episode on COVID-19 in India about six weeks ago, really in the mix of the tsunami of the peak of COVID-19. And I really wanted to uh, have an update. What has happened over the past six weeks? Are the PPEs available? Are the medications available? What's going on with vaccinations, vaccine hesitancy, and other aspects? And to do that, I have invited Dr. Aju Matthew, who actually was trained in the US and has been living in India for the past several years, to give us the updates from the ground into what has happened in India, what's going on in India right now, and what's the situation looking like? What could be done and what is the future at least as Aju views it. So I hope you share with me the importance of this global disease. You know, fixing the situation in the US is not going to be enough unless it is fixed worldwide. As long as there is a pandemic elsewhere and travel is happening all over and vaccines are not high enough, people are going to die and we are going to get sick. But uh, it is good news, the US vaccination rate is significantly high. This is not matched by other countries. And that's really where we need to put on our head, the global hat and think about how can we assure that everywhere else in the world, hopefully gets access to these vaccines. So, I appreciate you tuning in, and without further ado, Dr. Aju Matthew, well, hold on, before I air the episode with Dr. Aju Matthew, you need to find the show, but more importantly, subscribe to the show, rate the show, review the show, and refer a friend or a colleague to the show. Let them know about Healthcare Unfiltered. Without further ado, Dr. Aju Matthew on Healthcare Unfiltered, discussing an update on COVID-19 in India. Well, it's uh, really a pleasure of mine to uh, host a dear uh, friend and colleague, Dr. Aju Matthew, who we have met several times through various conferences when he actually lived in the US and uh, worked in the US before he moved back to uh, to India, and he's been there for a while now. He's going to tell us a little bit about this. But for listeners, the reason I invited Aju, aside from his fascinating career and journey, A, his understanding of the U.S. healthcare system versus outside of the U.S. healthcare system, but more importantly, to give us an update into what has happened with COVID-19 in India over the past six weeks since the last time I've aired an episode on this topic. Aju, welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. Thank you so much for taking time. I know we're taping this episode on uh, the night of June 10th in the US, which is the morning of June 11th in India. And I know it's a little bit early for you. So I appreciate you waking up uh, a little bit early and uh, joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Chadi. It's always great to talk to you. 
uh, and meet you. And uh, you know, you're always uh, a very cheerful personality. So it's always fun to talk. I to try. You. I try. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Aju, Aju, tell me listeners about you a little bit. Uh, let's get to know yeah, you. Yeah. Well, it, it it was funny uh, when you were saying about uh, my practice in the U.S. and my understanding of the healthcare system of the U.S. Because I was thinking. Is there anybody who understands the healthcare system of the U.S.? <laughs> if, Bishal Giwali, if Bishal Giwali is listening, maybe he does a little bit. <laughs> I mean, Indian is much simpler. Either you have money or not, don't have money. But uh, U.S. is so challenging. Uh, but anyway, well, my story, I, I uh, trained in India. I did my medical school in India. And after that, I really wanted to stay back in India and do uh, work here. But it so happened I always, always always had an interest in doing epidemiology masters studies in epidemiology. So while I was doing my post-graduation study, I got a full scholarship to go to Cambridge to do a masters in epidemiology. So I requested my university here to give me a year of leave, uh, and they, they basically said, "Well, we can't do that. You just have to abscond and come back with a health certificate saying you were ill." No, I said, I'm not going to abscond. I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll resign my course and then I'll resign my post and go because I really wanted to do that. And uh, while I was doing that, I, a few of my friends said, why did you consider USMLEs? And that's uh, how I thought of the United States and I read more about the education system and I was fascinated with the training in the US. So I applied uh, for residency, matched. But all along, I really wanted to come back to India. I mean, this was where my heart is. Uh, fortunately, I met my wife, who also had the same interest. You know, she she's also a doctor, but she also wanted to come back. So after our training, I worked for a few years while she was undergoing her training. And finally, about two and a half years ago, we decided to move back. So I've been working in India for two years. I'm an oncologist. Um, I'm a trained hematologist, actually, but my practice is mainly oncology. Um, so I'm back in my hometown with my parents. Um, so we had two options, either stay in the U.S. or come back home. This is home. We didn't have any other options. So in terms of my work at home, in my hometown, I don't have any big academic centers. So I have sort of carved out a, a private practice setup as well as a practice in a, a medical college in a rural area. So I have two, one academic role, sort of part-time, and the other is my full-time private practice in the city. And uh, Aju, I know India is huge and, and big. Which part of India do you, are you practicing? So I practice down south, uh, the tip of India. Uh, it's called Kerala. Uh, it's the south, uh, southern uh, part of India. It's a unique state in that uh, our health indices are at a much uh, higher uh, levels compared to the rest of India, almost comparable to that of Japan in terms of life expectancy, in terms of infant mortality rate, all the wonderful things that you hear about in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We sort of reached there. Um, but the rest of the India is lagging behind. But if you consider India as a whole, you should think that the South has reached, has done much better than the North of India. So I belong to that Southern part. Uh, we, are a, we are a very secular land. All uh, ethnicities, all religions exist peacefully. We are highly educated. I mean, literacy level is 100 percentage. Uh, our, our health standards are higher. So all of that makes us... Uh, we call ourselves God's own country. It's our advertising tourism catchphrase, God's own country. And it has reached some far, but I don't think uh, people who live here would say that because of the mosquitoes. We would probably call <laughs> mosquitoes own country <laughs> and we are guests here. 
I'll have to say it's really fascinating to me that you were able to go back. And, and, and I say that I admire that, honestly, because there's a lot of things that are very attractive about living in the U.S. One of them is certain things that just are very comfortable where people take for granted that are not very easy in low middle income countries and in countries that just are not as wealthy as the US. And, you know, as you know, I'm an immigrant as well. I came from, you know, Syria a long time ago. And so I can understand the difficulty into going to an, uh, and not that India doesn't have a lot of resources, but certainly they don't compare with the US in general, including patients resources. So it's really, um, I really admire that your ability to, to do that because I could imagine that you really have to customize your recommendations and practice based on what's available. And you may not be able to do PET scans every time you want to do a PET scan. And you actually do have to do use your stethoscope versus doing an echocardiogram. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, cost is always part of our discussion, part of the thought process. Um, you know, we talk about shared decision-making all the time. But that shared decision-making doesn't work in a place like India. I mean, it can work, but for the most part, uh, as a doctor, I do take uh, immense responsibility in taking a decision for the patient. So I always tell my students that uh, a doctor in India really have to learn uh, wallet biopsy as well. You, know, you have to get a biopsy of their purse and see how much money is there or so, in somehow, in, in some way or the other. You know, you got to look at how they dress You've got to look at where they live, you know, get conversations on how, on how is their income level, what kind of job they have, do they have insurance, and then get a sense of what you need to do. I'll just give you an example. You know, a patient with myeloma who came to see me, an elderly lady, uh, her M band is high. So should I do a bone marrow biopsy? You know, hypercalcemia, the clinical diagnosis there. Should I do a bone marrow biopsy? Uh, should I do a PET scan? You know, I omitted all of that. So it's straight to the treatment. Yeah. Pancreatic adenocarcinoma. I mean, it's not pancreatic adenocarcinoma until it's proven, but pancreas mass, CA1, CA99 is 8,000, multiple liver meds, foregoat biopsy. Yeah. You understand, it's, it can never happen. So a lot of clinical medicine can happen here. Uh, unlike in the US where you really have to do a lot of stuff to really, really go by the books. So it's a little fun. In terms of the challenge coming back, um, a lot of uh, doctors call me. So I get a call once a month from someone based in the U.S. to see, to hear from me and my experience here. The major drawback is I've uh, lost my career in terms of my academic career. So if you really need to be on an academic level and publish, uh, I think the U.S. provides a lot of incentives for that. It's a meritocracy. So if you publish, you climb up the ladder. Here, that's not an index at all. Uh, so academic career is one that I was willing to sacrifice. So if people are willing to sacrifice their academic career, I think India is a good option. Money, you know, as a doctor, I make decent money. For the living standards here, I have no regrets. I don't think uh, any oncologist will regret the money they make here. So that's less of an issue. Quality of life, uh, you know, clean, clean air, uh, uh, outdoors, that's something we miss. I could just walk out five minutes and I would just get into a wooded area and just go for a walk in, in, a, in its wood. That's impossible, at least where I live, you know, in a city. So uh, traffic is a challenge. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of perks, some, uh, some disadvantages. 
but if you weigh the the things that you value and make a decision i think uh, make a careful decision if there are listeners who are keen to uh, try to return back home uh, and you know it's an adventure uh, no one day is not the same as the previous day but it's fun you know uh, I'll, I'll, one tiny example coming back here i mean our chemo unit there was nothing so i want to i had to learn how to give chemo as in you know what how how much ml fluid i need to use what kind of fluid i need to use what kind of infusion set i need to use what is the kind of needle used to do, access a port uh, what is the kind of needle uh, you know what is the kind of uh, materials you need to dress up a pick line a lot of these minor things in the us it's so easy to check box uh, to click all those check boxes yeah it's amazing so that was fun. Yeah, it's amazing and uh, uh, you know i think what you what you highlight is the concept of trade-offs, right? I mean, you you yeah, know, you obviously you chose a career path that 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 you 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 said I'm gonna compromise growing through the academic ladder, but what I'm gaining in return is family and, and other aspects. And and I really I cannot tell you how much I admire this truly. And I hope that people who are listening they really appreciate. The, the things that, that, that you're doing, the concept of trade-off. There is no perfect scenario, but um, often people want to do that. But Aju, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about COVID-19 in India. And uh, as, as fascinating as your career is, and I'll get back to that in a little bit, I, I feel it deserves, honestly, just one episode. Uh, because you still publish, despite all of this. I read a paper for you last year, I think, it was in the Journal of Global Oncology, and I know that um, that part in you still is there, and you, you're able to nourish it. But COVID-19 in India, in the U.S., we hear a lot of things. I taped one episode on that about six weeks ago. I interviewed uh, a couple of physicians. And I want to try to take listeners through what has happened over the past six weeks. But to level set, what actually happened in the start from your perspective because i honestly feel as if like i woke up one morning and it's all hell in india it was everything was fine and people were talking in the fall and even in the early winter how wonderful things in india are and there are no issues and you know it's herd immunity it's cross reactivity all of these things all of these theories and then i woke up one day and it's my goodness it's hundreds of thousands of things so Take us back there. Like, what actually happened, and was that surprising to you, or were you really expecting it as a physician? You know, I'll take you back to December of 2020. In December of 2020, December January, that time, the Indian government did zero survey, zero prevalence study, looking at antibodies in in a random patient, random population, and they figured that one in four in India were exposed to coronavirus. So 25 percentage. So I think most of us who tracked the virus knew that things were going to get bad again. But I think the magnitude of uh, the wave, or rather the tsunami, as I like to call it, as most people are calling it now, or the firestorm, was uh, mind-boggling. The way the, the virus exponentially grew every day was just mind-boggling. I think uh, come, moving from December, January to April, when the tsunami actually came into the peak, there was a lot of missteps, a lot of miscalculations. I think I would put our government uh, on the on the dock, really. 
there was really a lot of missteps from their part. They assumed or they were advised probably that a bunch of our patients or population, we had reached nearly herd immunity and things would go fine because the signals that were coming from the top of our national leadership were that everything is fine. You know, they were moving about, they were organizing rallies, political rallies, uh, religious festivals, just like nothing had happened. And there was a false sense of uh, invincibility as well. Uh, the news reports, I know there were news reports from eminent authors in the US as well in big uh, media saying India, there's one country that has evaded Corona very successfully, let's learn from them. There was a lot of hypothesis that was branded about um, our cross-reactivity with other infections, our unhygienic atmosphere makes us more immune and you know, the fact that we had BCG vaccination probably had the hot and humid atmosphere, sort of all sorts of things that were branded about. But uh, the virus had the last laugh. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the tsunami just came about so fast. But, you know, this is how it behaves. We were warned this for the last one and a few, one year, how the virus behaves. We had seen this in, in Italy. But uh, we were very behind in learning from the experience of New York City and Italy. We never, there was, I think that false sense of invincibility also added on to the problem. Delhi, Mumbai were badly affected. Where I belong, Kerala was less affected. Just the same reason why New York City and Italy were affected first, because most of the travelers ended up in these places. And the virus moves from urban to rural areas. You know, I'm more in a semi-urban state than compared to Delhi and Mumbai. So we had time to prepare. So we were fortunate in that perspective. Uh, but Delhi and Mumbai were over. Delhi, for instance was really overwhelmed. So then then things started happening in April, like you said, the, the peak. As somebody who who lived there, I don't know, any reflection, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but any reflection on the world's response to the crisis yeah. in India? Um, I don't know. I mean, I my opinion is I think we could no. have better, but maybe not. I don't know. You know, I'm always first to blame myself or our, our own nation, our own national government. Um, I'd like to think that we have to really be self-critical of ourselves first before we blame the rest of the world. I'll come to the rest of the world in a minute, but before, before that, I really want to put my own uh, administration in the dock again. You know, we have launched satellites to the space. We, we launch it uh, like cakewalk now. It's so easy now. Uh, we have immense uh, defense cap capacity to, to mount challenges from both sides of the border. You know, we are a technical, uh, a nation of technical pros. We are a nation of billionaires. You know, if you look at uh, billionaires, the number of billionaires, we probably rank in the top uh, 10 in the world. Uh, so we are not a, a very poor country as we would like to claim ourselves. We are not poor, but we have resources. It's just that resource mobilization is not uh, up to the mark. Um, the brains that use the resources are not up to the mark. So lack of oxygen, the world saw it. Why did that happen? We were less prepared. We were warned for a year. Hospitals were less prepared. Kerala, for instance, where I belong, our, our leadership was very careful about all of this. Most of our hospitals developed oxygen tanks, oxygen production plants on its own. You know, we used the funds uh, and used them well. We created the infrastructure well. A lot of the 
state administration as well as the central government, the federal government actually dropped the ball there. So a lot of the blame goes to our own government, our own public. But of course, some part of it should go to the rest of the world. Here's where the rest of the world actually dropped the ball. I think it is in the sense of uh, vaccine uh, hesitancy. Um, that fueled a little bit of uh, vaccine hesitancy in India as well. The kind of literature and the kind of conspiracy theory that comes out of the US. You know, I just saw some video from Ohio of a woman talking about uh, some magnetic force in her <laughs> fox and spoons getting, you know, this is, this is a globalized world. Things just travel here so quickly. And, you know, very few people in, in India got vaccines when they could. By the time the tsunami came, uh, there were less vaccines available. Uh, so the vaccine hesitancy is a concern and that usually always comes out from the West. The, the impetus for the vaccine hesitancy, we all know about the MMR autism saga. Uh, so all of this comes from the West. So our scientific administration and our political leadership in the West have to be really careful. And that's where I think the previous president did a lot of damage to the global uh, health community by fueling a lot of the vaccine hesitancy, fueling a lot of science mistrust, uh, President Trump. And I'm glad uh, the, the new administration is, so, is more scientifically thinking and uh, more inclined to listen to the feedback from doctors and professionals. One thing I always like to say is no country is an island, although we would like to claim so. No man is an island. You know, someone said, uh, no one is safe until we are, we are all safe. So just because U.S. has a lot of vaccines doesn't mean that U.S. is protected from future waves of the pandemic. Because wide, vast swaths of people are unvaccinated, the virus has a lot of potential to mutate into variants of high concern, variants that can evade the immunity, variants that can cause more severe disease. So the appropriate measure for the rest of the world to do is now to disperse vaccines that are in excess capacity. And I believe President Biden declared something yesterday that they're going to release a lot of the vaccines for Africa. And yeah, but it's, it's been, I mean... Yesterday is still a day too late, a week too late, a month too late. I guess yeah. over the past month or month and a half, um, what's the status of the vaccination uh, in India? That's number one. And number two, what's the status of treatment in terms of available therapy, including simple plain old oxygen, right? I mean, I think um, just a simple oxygen tank. So what's going on right now over the past month? A, do you guys have vaccines? B, do you have oxygen? Do you have steroids? Do you have remdesivir? What, what, what is, what are, what's the status? Yeah. Uh, before I get, that, get to your question, I just want to add one part. The response of the global community, the people, the people of the world was you know, tremendous. Absolutely. It's really uh, sovereign. And uh, I mean, my university, I, was, I suddenly saw in my, on my social media page that my previous university was hosting a fundraiser to send oxygen concentrators. I mean, individuals, people were calling, uh, asking what can we do? You know, the, the people of the world reaffirm the humanity that is in existence. You know, the governments may fail, may, may lack uh, 
in their appropriate response. But the people, there is still a lot of humanity left in a lot of us. Uh, I'm not I saying agree. all of us. I agree. No, but I agree with you. I think, uh, like I said, I mean, I really, a lot of people, including myself, have felt strongly about what's going on. And, and that's really where my disappointment in many governments uh, stems from. Because I, I, it's for me, it was... You know, when the U.S. had 60 or 70 million AstraZeneca vaccine shots, you send those, right? I mean, you don't really, we're, if you're not going to use them in the U.S., you send them to India, to Brazil, to the Middle East. But anyway, I think, you know, we could debate this. I, I you know, I'm yeah. obviously clearly disappointed in what has happened. But what's current state in India right yeah. now? So, because it's been about like close to six weeks since that tsunami, if you will. Yeah, so the peak is over, um, and uh, several parts of India, the the urban part, Delhi and Mumbai, they have really made it for now. Kerala is still, uh, you know, because we control the virus reasonably well, we're still plateauing. We never had a peak, we're plateauing. Uh, so I think we have crossed that uh, the bad PR moment for India. Uh, you know, the, 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 the situation where people died without oxygen in a stretcher um, outside hospitals. I think we have gone past that phase. And the government has now stepped up. Most hospitals, most regions in India have the infrastructure, have oxygen and sufficient resources currently. In terms of vaccine, we don't have enough vaccine even now. Uh, every day I hear stories uh, or call, call, get calls from people asking, where can I get vaccine? I've been I've been trying left and right uh, on all sorts of platforms trying to get vaccine. So vaccine shortage is still there. Uh, in terms of vaccine acceptance, about 10 to 12 percentage of uh, Indians have got at least one dose. I think compared, comparable data for the U.S. is around 40 percentage. Around three to four percentage of Indians have got two doses or for sort of fully vaccinated. The comparable number for the U.S. is, I think, uh, 50% or something like that. Yeah, 40, but the, popula the population of India is 1.4, 1.5 billion. I mean, it's just like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a... So, the, again, uh, the, therein uh, lies some other problems as well. Again, uh, our government, I, I put my government in the dock again. You know, we have just uh, three vaccines that are approved for use here. I mean, two plus one just recently. The two are the AstraZeneca one that you always talk about everywhere. Um, uh, the the COVID Covaxin, which is an India developed, Indian Council for Medical Research collaborated developed, killed vaccine, and the third one that was just approved is the Sputnik uh, from the US uh, from the Russia. Pfizer and Moderna have, are not approved yet, uh, despite having data from across the world. The government is sort of holding back for unknown reasons. Well, they know best. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, argument about indemnity. What happens when? Uh, you know, there's some uh, adverse effects. Is the company at fault? Will they have to compensate? You know, that kind of issues. Uh, but the application has been in front of the Indian government for the last six months. So they, get, they granted, uh, ex, you know, ex EUA, uh, the, the approval, the quick approval process. They have uh, fast-tracked it just a month ago while the tsunami was at its peak. So we don't have enough vaccines, although the rest of the, country, the, rest of the world has sufficient at least the, uh, the Western countries. And uh, part of it is because our, our nation hasn't approved enough. Now, do you, you know, do you know why uh, they're not approving the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines? 
uh, you know, uh, the Economist magazine profiled the response of some major countries. And it's an interesting pattern. Where there is a strongman, where there is a nationalistic government, the response has been very poor to the pandemic. And Brazil is an example. US under President Trump is an example. And India under Prime Minister Modi is an example. There's a lot of vaccine nationalism. Um, about what, what does that June of last year. What, what does that mean, vaccine nationalism? I, I'll, tell, I'll tell you in just a moment. In June of last year, Prime Minister Modi said in August 15th that we're going to vaccinate, we're going to launch our first vaccines. But the first vaccines hadn't actually started clinical trials then. So there was a lot of uh, gung-ho statements saying, you know, we are going to be the first to develop vaccine. We are going to be the first to uh, bring out vaccines. We are going to send vaccines to the rest of the world. We are going to save the world kind of big statements, which was not matched uh, by the reality on the ground. So the vaccine nationalism is exemplified by saying we, have, we are self-reliant. We got our own vaccine. And that's why only two vaccines were approved for use until the tsunami happened. That is the India developed AstraZeneca one, which is developed in India, uh, a company called Serum Institute. Although the technology transfer happened from AstraZeneca in Oxford. The other is an indigenously developed vaccine called Covaxin. Clinical trial data for that vaccine is not yet out, but the vaccine has been uh, used in Indians for some time now. It's a killed vaccine, but I think it's safe. So, by holding up against the Chinese vaccines, the Russian vaccine, the US vaccine, um, the German vaccine, we are saying, you know, we are self-reliant. So that is vaccine nationalism in one I see. statement. I see. I see. So, um, and um, just a couple of points on the vaccines. Um, is it when you say about 1%, 2%, 4% of the population, is it a supply issue? Is it the fact that there's not enough supply to vaccinate more people? Or is it that people in India are just more hesitant about getting the vaccines or a combination of both? Yeah, so uh, there are far uh, more people in India than the rest of the world uh, can imagine. So vaccine hesitancy is a challenge for a small subset of our patients or population. Uh, overwhelmingly, our problem is one of supply. Uh, it is interesting if you superimpose the graphs for COVID cases per day to number of vaccines per day, it goes diametrically opposite. So while the COVID tsunami was raging and the, the line was actually going right up uh, in an exponential way, the proportion of people that were getting vaccinated was going steadily in a downslope. That's yeah. because we just don't have enough supply. We still don't have enough supplies. Um, and that is where I think uh, President Biden and the global leaders need to come together and uh, contribute. Absolutely. Now, there is a disaster looming in front of us, and I am, I'm seeing it right in front of my eyes. That's Africa. Uh, if you look at some of the, the graphs from some of the African countries, it's it's uh, scary. Um, the, the, it's a India to the double or triple happening. Yeah, now. you know, that that's, um, you're right. That is really a big deal. And um that's why I felt strongly against, I thought, you know, instead of vaccinating the children in the U.S., you should vaccinate the adults in low-middle-income countries. But So, Anaju, in terms of uh, treatment, um, uh, right now there is PPEs, there are PPEs, there is oxygen, remdesivir, like the, the essentials needed to take care of patients are available, as well as hospital beds. If somebody is sick, they can go to the hospital yeah. and buy the bed. 
Yeah, right now we have gone past that peak, so we have sufficient infrastructure. In fact, the hospital government have also stepped up. Um, uh, infrastructure is good now. In terms of treatment, we have all sorts of bad treatment here, all sorts of anti-scientific treatment. You know, you've probably heard about all these uh, indigenously developed uh, medications consisting of turmeric and ginger and honey and uh, uh, mysterious ingredients. We do them fights. here too, Aju. We do them here too. <laughs> yeah. The problem is here, it gets the backing of the government. The, 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 the people who uh, come out with these medicines, some of these are multi-million dollar industry here. And the medicines are launched by the health minister of the country. And that gives it a lot of stamp of approval. So bad science flows in our veins uh, with the official stamp of approval of our government. Um, because of that, we have all sorts of uh, treatment options. Ivermectin, there's a big Ivermectin cult here. Um, it probably started in the US though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, you know, we have all this stuff. Uh, recently, we have the, the Trump cocktail as well, the antibody cocktail, the Cami, the Imdevisanib or whatever that's called, the Camisivir. The, the, the. So how about this mucormycosis, Adru? We keep hearing about mucormycosis and there were lots of articles. And I believe one of your, you actually tweeted an article that uh, Nikita wrote about mucormycosis and what's going on there? What's happening? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's an unbelievably uh, disastrous epidemic of mucormycosis. You know, who would, who would have thought uh, we would have a pandemic, a tsunami, a firestorm, and then uh, yet another major issue. So to bring your audience into uh, the, up, to update your audience, you know, we have seen around 30,000 cases of mucormycosis in India. That is based on official count. The state of Kerala has witnessed have around 60 cases of mucormycosis. Um, we manage healthcare better. That's probably one reason we have less numbers of mucormycosis. But the north of India have been struck by this epidemic of this fungus called mucor. mucor. Um, it is a locally invasive disease. You know, I'm not an expert for the disease. I have not seen a single case in the last decade. Even now, I have not seen one. But I believe most of the doctors working in the north, um, at least the ENT doctors, are seeing them. Uh, in fact, I just heard from my wife that our hospital um, had one case yesterday and our ENT surgeon operated on a case yesterday. So why is that happening? Nobody knows. And that's a shame. And that's a shame uh, because we have 28,000, 30,000 cases. It's easy to do a study, but we still don't know why it happened. It's easy to do a case control study. But we don't know. There's a lot of hypothesis. Uh, one is the indiscriminate use of steroids. Because steroids was found to be a proven therapy to save lives in COVID patients. Uh, a lot of quacks, a lot of pharmacies uh, started using it from day one of patients having COVID as a prophylactic medicine. And that's bad. Because using steroids while the virus is in full-blown uh, full uh, replication phase, the viremia phase, is not good. Because that's going to... You know, accelerate the viremia and cause more damage. Um, and uh, steroids as also causes uh, hyperglycemia or high levels of sugars, which when goes uncontrolled, lowers the immunity and puts your body at risk for getting infections. So people generally think it's a combination of steroids, indiscriminate use of steroids, and the uncontrolled uh, blood sugar levels that is causing it. 
But some studies coming from the north of India are showing that about 30% of patients with mucormycosis did not get steroids or did not have uncontrolled blood sugars. That brings a lot of questions into what is happening. Is this uh, corona itself actually having some interplay with the, the, uh, the fungus? Or, you know, India is known for indiscriminate use of antibiotics too. Is the indiscriminate use of antibiotics altering the microbiome in a person who's struck by corona? And is that leading to a common cell organism like mucor, you know, invading into the, into the person? A lot of unknowns. But I think in the next one month or so, we will have some studies that explain. But are, are, we seeing, are we seeing fewer cases now than like a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, or we don't know? You know, I wish I knew that. I wish our government knew that. I don't think anybody has the data because mucormycosis was notified as a notifiable disease only about two weeks ago. So the numbers are just coming in. I don't think we are past the peak of the mucormycosis epidemic. I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. Got it. Okay, so um, things seems to be- What a crazy disease, huh? It's crazy, it's just crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, you finish from one thing, you get another thing. Um, I, was, I just had something, uh, Shadi. Just a few uh, few minutes ago, I got a call from my nurse and she said her brother who had, a, who had COVID a month and a half ago, suddenly ex experienced uh, chest discomfort overnight, swe sweating. Um, and uh, looked very sick and ill. So he was rushed to our hospital. He's in the ICU, probably myocarditis or probably coronary thrombus. So crazy. crazy. I mean, crazy. It's really a crazy disease. And um, But uh, listening to you, Aju, I feel, I, I think we're turning the corner in India. It seems things are getting better. Uh, the hope is that this sustains. I think if between herd immunity that happened from infections and hopefully there are vaccinations that hopefully increase. I'm hoping that we're turning the corner. Um, uh, are there any mandates in India right now in mid-June 2021 about masks, social gathering? Is our businesses open, economy open? What's going on there? So right now in my state, uh, we are still in a lockdown, a sort of pseudo lockdown, semi lockdown. Most of our government offices are closed. Most of the, well, the schools are closed for the last one and a half years. Uh, the colleges are closed. Uh, most of the businesses that are of uh, not urgent business establishments are closed by government decreed. Uh, rest of India, a lot of the places lockdown have been lifted. We are not there yet because our test positivity rate is still about 10 percentage. That's why uh, our lockdown is still in place. And I think lockdown does have some value when a virus like Corona is, is raging around us. You know, I have believed in uh, not instituting lockdown because I thought of the economy taking a bad hit. I think there are better ways you can control Corona, wearing masks, hand hygiene, social distancing. But uh, at the peak of a, uh, an epidemic or a pandemic, I believe there is no other option. When a healthcare system is overwhelmed, there's no other option but to institute a lockdown. And that's where real-time data is very important Real-time data, uh, modeling, accurate statistical modeling is so important for our decision makers to know when to actually put the lockdown, when to actually put the brakes, because uh, putting the brakes soon would just devastate the economy. Putting the brakes late would just kill more people. It's a tough choice for the yeah. government. Is the airport open? Airport functions, yeah. Airport is functioning in most part of India. 
but uh, our travelers from uh, a lot of countries are prohibited from coming to India, or rather it's the other way around. We are prohibited to going from to other parts of the world at the moment. For instance, my friend uh, who's come from the US, they can't come back to the US directly. They have to go to a third country, stay there for two weeks and then come back uh, and get into the US, like go to Mexico and then go to US from there. Unless you are a citizen of uh, US or a permanent resident. Now they hold a visa. Yeah. So they are looking for an exception from their uh, from the immigration department to land directly. Well, Aju, th thank you. This was uh, very enlightening into what's actually happening in India. Um, is there are there any other things that I should have asked you about the current situation in India? What's going on that you want to share with listeners that I may have just not asked you? I I think I have a good vision into what's going on. It, I, I'm happy to hear what you mentioned. It's way better than the interview I did six weeks ago where things were really significantly worse. But any other items you would like to elaborate on that I may have missed? Yeah, I think most of your audience is based in the U.S. So there's one message, you know, I put in my social media profile in Facebook yesterday to my friends in the U.S., which is the graph that uh, Professor Topol put in his social media feed yesterday, showing how the cases in the US, uh, more Delta variant, the one that originated in India, are rising. Now, the Delta variant is remarkable because it has the potential to escape uh, some degree of immune immunity. It is more transmissible, and it actually is reported to cause more severe disease. So 50% of the US is not vaccinated. And I believe hesitancy is a major problem there. So if you have a loved one who's not vaccinated, um, I think I would strongly urge you to consider it um, because uh, Delta is not easy. Uh, and herd immunity is uh, less of a scientifically credible way out of a pandemic uh, than vaccination. So get that vaccine rate in the US to close to 80 percentage, 50 to 80. So I think the hesitancy needs to now go out. Yeah, I think I think there's less hesitancy amongst adults. I think there is some hesitancy for children, and I I believe it's appropriate. I think there's not there is some data in kids right now coming some reports about myocarditis from the vaccine. There are several reports, and even the CDC right now in the U.S. is investigating that. But amongst adults, I believe that we are going to continue to see increased risk, uh, rate of vaccination. Hopefully. Uh, but as you said, Aju, this is a global disease. And my sense is that we need to make sure, like from Africa to South America, to the Middle East, to India and other locations, we need to think globally into how we make sure vaccinations disseminate to get rid of this, uh, this disease. Otherwise, it's going to come back and hunt us despite vaccination if the variants don't respond to vaccines. Who knows? It's a challenge. So it's, you know, a lot of us have become COVIDologists, right? I That's has become a specialty it. on its own. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> we have so many experts in COVID right now. We, it's crazy. <laughs> well, look, uh, this was really uh, such a pleasure to, to have you on. I, I really appreciate you um, just coming on early in India before you, you head to work. I want to have you one more time and when things settle down, just talking about the entire career path, I think it's um, it's amazing. You mentioned that you get calls, you know, once a month or twice a month from folks who are thinking about going back and they want to learn from you. So clearly, 
there are you're not alone in the thought process, but you were brave enough to actually go back and and say, I'm going to really make it happen. And there are others who are thinking alike. So I, I really think there's a lot to talk about there that will be helpful to many listeners who are considering going back to India. Yes, uh, uh, once or twice, uh, once a month or at least twice, uh, once in two months, I get a call and I have to spend an hour uh, on a video call or an audio call. Just the most recent one was a Sunday from a Palm Critical Care Fellow in the US in one of the prestigious institutions. Um, uh, we need, we need to uh, so, listen. I think I have a business proposition <laughs> for you. We do like consult yeah. <laughs> consulting company. We charge them. Aha. Uh -huh. See, I'm starting to it's think. A good, it's, a, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. But, you know, you know, I, 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 you know, you asked me about publications and publishing. You know, I still, I still write. I still work on research manuscripts. And the only incentive for me to do that now is students. There's a lot of students who approach me for uh, papers, for manuscripts, for work, for research idea, but only because they want to go to the U.S. to do residency. So as much as uh, uh, there is interest from people from the U.S. who may want to move back, but it's a difficult challenge, uh, there is multiple fold people who really want to come back, come to the U.S. and get trained in residency. And I am very fortunate I trained in the U.S. Um, the training in the U.S. has given me multiple advantages. You know, I know how to manage patients better. You know, one thing, I, I may not know Harrison's textbook of medicine well, you don't need as compared to a lot of my colleagues, as a, a lot of my colleagues in India. You know, we, uh, the U.S. training is amazing. I mean, the, it focuses on Very practical. Uh, teaching you how to, how to manage here. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm good at that. Very practical. Although I may not know the Krebs cycle, I, I'm good at that. My last question to you, and then I'll let you go, is you have an you have a degree in epidemiology. And obviously, you know, COVID-19 had been uh, a, a big pandemic and, and global pandemic. When you wear your epidemiology hat, have you thought about doing certain research studies on the epidemiology front in India, for example, where you are just to try to address or resolve some of the questions just as an epidemiologist uh, uh, in training? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Yes, uh, I just uh, you know did a study looking at the proportion of healthcare workers who got breakthrough infection when the tsunami was raging in Delhi. You know, and uh, I, I, I found that um, the breakthrough infection rate is very less. And I followed it up later and uh, checked while the tsunami was past its peak and the breakthrough infections were rising. So even before uh, the biological studies have come out in from England and uh, from the rest of the world that the Delta variant is causing some breakthrough infection. I could get some insights into the fact that um, the, the Delta variant is, as it's rising in a community, the number of breakthrough infections is also rising. But I want to add that I am a useless doctor here unless and until I'm part of a government setup. You know, that's how unfortunately things work here. You have to be part of the government setup for the policymakers to listen to you, for things to work. You know, we're still a little primitive in, in that way, whereas uh, in the US, you can be part of an institution, you can be part of a collaboration and produce good data, and there will be people who may at least consider your thoughts and ideas. Here, um, we have still a lot of red tape. So, so as a society, we are still uh, on a path to progress. 
Aju, good luck to you. It's always wonderful to catch up with you. Thank God for Zoom and thank God for the internet that allows us to connect with each other thousands of miles apart. And uh, I hope to see you soon in the US. Maybe you'll come back next year at ASCO to visit or to uh, other conferences. I really look forward to catching up with you. Uh, Chadi, thank you. Uh, I want to actually thank you, especially for caring for us. You know, at least uh, the intention of uh, having two shows, trying to understand what is happening in India is, is, uh, is so much caring. And it, it opens my heart that people in the US, people like you exist, that uh, you care for us. It's a, it's a, it's a sign of uh, love in real measure. Yes, I, I just you. wish we could thank do more, you. really. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I wish we could do more. I think we, uh, that's where it's very frustrating that the vaccines do exist here and people are not willing to take them while other people are dying elsewhere that they are wishing to get a vaccine. It's just, um, you know, what can we do? But hey, we take what we can and we hope to move forward. I hope next time I see you, everything will be uh, history for us, my friend. Yes, I, I do so too. Take care. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you spending some time with Dr. Matthew and myself talking about COVID-19 in India, an update. Please let me know what you think of the show. Direct message me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan. That's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N. And you can send me an email via my website, www.shadinabhan.com. You can also send me an email to shadinabhan00 at outlook.com. Before I let you go, I really want to leave you with a saying that I like for Muhammad Ali. And it might be actually fitting to this show because of the importance of how we need to assure helping each other. Muhammad Ali once said, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Until next time, take care.